0: When I was told I could choose any passage to give you a sense of my understanding of church or pastoral leadership, there was a clear front runner. Because the passage we'll look at today, Ephesians 4, 7 to 16, is one of the most explicit passages in the Bible that speaks to the purpose of the church and its leadership. This is God's vision for his church, which one would hope that would impact the vision any leader has for a particular church certainly does for me. So, church. Is it a building? Is it a business? It's people. It's bleary-eyed people shuffling into pews on Sunday mornings who have yelled at their spouses and kids on the drive-in. Church is people worried about health issues, or finances, or relationship, who stumble in seeking help and direction. Church is the dutiful who come out of habit, perhaps not expecting anything of substance to occur. Church is the grateful, eager to worship the living God in the splendor of His holiness. Church is new people who walk through our doors, sometimes with trepidation, but are here regardless out of curiosity, longing, or desperation. It's all here any given Sunday. In fact, in my 20-some years of pastoral ministry, this has always been one of the most meaningful aspects of the worship service for me. To glance across the room during the worship service to see whom God has brought here to watch God's people gathered to worship Him, to hear a word from Him, to serve Him, regardless of the joys and burdens in their own lives. I am always moved by your faith in uncertainty, your courage in fear, your singing amidst grief, your perseverance amidst adversity, and your gratitude in times of celebration. I'm especially inspired by watching God's people shuffle forward in communion to receive the body of Christ given for you, the blood of Christ shed for you. My, how we need it. Because of all the metaphors used in the Bible to describe God's people, one of the most common is the body of Christ. The church is a body. The church is Christ's body. The church is Christ's visible manifestation of his presence here on earth. Years ago in seminary, I had a theology professor who observed that one of the most overlooked aspects of Christology or the doctrine of Christ was Jesus' ascension. We make a big deal about his birth, Christmas. We make a decent deal about his life and ministry by preaching the gospels. We, of course, make a big deal about his crucifixion, resurrection, Good Friday, Easter, and even his long-awaited return every time we celebrate communion. But the ascension doesn't get a lot of airtime. And that's unfortunate because it's absolutely critical for us, the church, in understanding what our role is. Remember, Jesus came to our world to show us what God is like. John 1:18. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God, has made him known. When I was a summer camp counselor in high school, we used to explain it like this. Jesus is God in a bod. He makes God known to us. Just before Jesus ascends to heaven in Acts 1-8, he tells his followers, you will be my witnesses, to Judea, Sumeria, and the ends of the earth. You will be my witnesses. That's the job of the church, to testify, to make him known. Friends, if Jesus was God in a bod, now that that bod is gone, we are God's bod. The same writer of John 1 makes this connection years after Jesus' ascension, No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. Jesus' ascension is the baton pass. With Jesus' physical body gone from this earth, his followers really do have to be his hands and feet. Otherwise, how else will anyone come to know this incredibly good news That God is for you, that he is with you, that he has a purpose for you, that he longs to give you life to the fullest, both now and after you die. How we, the church, live and move and show up in the world says something about who God is. Elsewhere in the Bible, we're told the church is the bride of Christ. The bride. Beautiful Radiant, sparkling, joyful, eager for her anticipated future. Sadly, much of the time, the church, broadly speaking, is more like a bridezilla. (laughs) Marked by scandals, hypocrisy, or self-righteousness. Fearful or even apologetic of the truth we hold dear. Or simply indifferent or apathetic to the needs of the world. There's often not much that's radiant about us. So yes, to be sure, the church as Christ's body on earth is the B team. It's like the fifth string actually. We're never going to make God known as well as Jesus did. But it is our calling nonetheless. Because the challenges are many. But the mission is urgent. And... The risen Christ has fully equipped us for this calling as our text today clearly indicates. The book of Ephesians was written to the church in Ephesus although it's generally believed to be a circular letter passed around to many churches in the first century given its general nature. The first half states who God is, the second half states who we are, the church. Listen to the passage now, and don't be surprised when you hear Ascension language right off the bat. (laughs) Ephesians 4, 7 to 16, you can follow along with the words on the screen, or turn to the bottom of page 1,778 in your pew Bible, Bible, 1778. But to each one of us, grace, same word for gift, has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, When he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastor-teachers to equip his people for works of service so the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves, and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and the cunningness and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. As you'll see on your outline, I want to start by first making a necessary parenthetical comment so we aren't distracted from the other points. Then we'll spend the majority of our time exploring three realities of the church as body of Christ that the writer wants us to get. And with each of these three realities, we'll explore what this means for us, City Church, as Christ's body here. Are you with me? Let's start with the necessary parenthetical comment. How's that for a paradox? Did you notice the translators have graciously put verses 9 and 10 in parentheses? (laughs) In fact, all of verses 7 to 10 at first seemed pretty distracting to the real substance of this passage, verses 11 to 16. I'll admit, when I first considered preaching on this passage, I wanted to just start at verse 11. I didn't want to have to deal with the questions raised in verses 7 to 10, but verses 7 to 16 are an entire unit, so I decided to take them as a whole to see if there might be some meaning in it. And I'm happy to report, turns out there is. In fact, it turns out that verses 7 to 10 are wonderfully essential. Because they present a picture of Jesus as the risen and victorious one who has overcome sin and suffering and has ascended to the highest heaven with all authority and power and who has resourced his church with all they need to accomplish their purpose. That's what's behind the ascending and descending language here. Paul's not referencing descending to hell or he would have used the more common term Hades or Abyss. He quotes Psalm 68, verse 8, which references God's triumphant ascension to his throne. Much like the Christ hymn in Philippians 2, verses 6 to 11, the descending and ascending language is describing the incarnation. How Jesus' pattern of humiliation by becoming human, dying on the cross, and then rising again and ascending to the highest heaven, exalts him to the highest place. Essentially, in these verses, Paul is reiterating what he has already said in Ephesians 1, 20-23, where he describes the victorious Christ as seated in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but in the one to come. And God has placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. This image is more powerful when you know that in Paul's day, victorious Roman generals, after conquering their captives, would gather the plunder and give or distribute the spoils to their people as gifts. That's the image Paul is promoting here. Verse 7 Grace, same word for gift, has been given by Christ. Verse verse 8, Christ gave gifts to people. And because of the emphatic pronoun in verse 11, so Christ himself gave. It really reads, this very one, this same one, is the one who gave. Everything Paul is about to say in verse 11 on about the nature and purpose of this church starts by ensuring we know just who has established it this way. The exalted and victorious Christ is the one who gave these gifts and leadership to accomplish his purposes. Well, that sounds promising. We'll come back to this later, but for now I wanna explore this vivid metaphor Paul uses for what the church is, a body. And I wanna spend the remainder of our time highlighting three realities of the church as Christ's body that I see in this passage and what they mean for us at City Church. The first reality about the church as the body of Christ is that just as bodies are unity in diversity, so is the church. This is a simple but profound fact. Our physical bodies are made up of many different parts. Arms, legs, muscles, joints, vascular, circular systems. There's obvious diversity. But those diverse parts work together as one body to enable us to accomplish a unified purpose. Studying for an exam, running a marathon, strategizing about a solution at work, creating art. The verses preceding our passage today, verses 1 to 6, focus on unity. But verses 7 to 16 emphasize diversity. To each one, the gifts have been given, verse 7. As each part does its work, verse 16. Verse 11 lists several different gifts and types of leaders, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastor, teacher. As one writer put it, the unity of the church is now shown to be that of an organism in which Christ's sovereign distribution of gifts produces the diversity One aspect of this unity in diversity reality that needs to be taken more seriously is that we all have different gifts and rather than seeing that as a hindrance to ministry, we need to see it as an aid to it. In fact, our diversity is the very vehicle of our unity and accomplishing the work before us. A corollary passage in 1 Corinthians 12 where Paul uses the analogy of a physical body again to represent the church. He essentially says there's no room for superiority, there's no room for inferiority. Elsewhere, Paul urges in Romans 15:7, Accept one another then as Christ accepted you. Churches aren't just to allow for differences. We are to rejoice in the differences because we know the fullness of Christ wouldn't be reflected without it. City Church, there's no place for guilt or apology or comparison or shame in the church when it comes to the part we play. Would that our churches would embrace this. Sometimes I hear people say, well, I'm getting old, I can't do much anymore. All I can do is pray. Are you kidding me? All you can do is intercede for us before God's throne to ask that he deliver us from the, holy, from the evil one's attempts to destroy us, I'll take it. Or I'm not good at speaking up front, I just serve behind the scenes. Are you kidding me? Do you know how rare it is to find someone who serves diligently and joyfully? Or I can't teach um, publicly with adults, I just like to work with kids are you kidding me you're passing on the life of faith to the next generation without which it and we will die friends we are a body and you are a part of it and we need what you bring precisely because it's something someone else doesn't do we are less of who God intends us to be without your part I hope everyone at City Church comes to an awareness of what God has gifted you to do. For many, it will be beyond these walls. Whatever it is, let's do it. I love how straightforward Paul puts it in another corollary passage in Romans 12, verses 4 to 8. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to the others." We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, teach. If it's encouraging, give encouragement. If it's giving, give generously. If it's leading, do it diligently. If if it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. You, you, you have a part. You've been given and we need your part to be God's unified, diverse body because his body has ascended. Now it's true, such diversity of gifts could lead to chaos and disorganization, if not carefully coordinated and managed and brought into a cohesive unity. But remember, this passage is about how the exalted Christ has resourced his body with all that it needs to do his work. In the midst of the diversity, God gifts leaders, verse 11, to help guide and coordinate all the efforts so they work together as one unified whole, not working against each other, but working together for a desired goal. The roles of church leaders, and I'm talking volunteer and paid, is, as verse 12 says, to equip the saints for works of ministry. Paul is really milking this body analogy because the word equip was used in first century medical writings to refer to setting a broken bone. I love that image. The role of leaders is to put each part in order, to realign what is out of place, ensuring each part reaches their full potential for which it was created and ensures it stays connected to the other parts in such a way that they are all functioning as they should. It's beautiful. Because the parts are all interconnected. Verse 16 actually uses two images for this intricate interconnection. The NRSV translates it knitted together. The NIV renders it joined and held together by every supporting ligament. Both are great images. We are not just proximate to one another. We are intricately interconnected, such that when one part falls apart, it all unravels. If you have torn a ligament or have had a biopsy of muscle tissue, you know just how interwoven the connective tissue of our bodies is. Similarly, when one part is built up, the other parts are too. So when you cut out crafts for VBS, you are actually building up the whole body, not just city kids. Can you imagine what would happen around here if everyone came to an awareness of how God had gifted them and offered those gifts in humble service to Christ out of devotion to him? Which brings me to the second reality of the church as body, Paul wants us to see. Bodies grow and mature. Just as our physical bodies grow and mature, the church Christ's spiritual body is to grow and mature. Verse 12 to 13, so the body of Christ may be built up and become a mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. The word become mature is a mature, full-grown adult. And just so we don't miss it, he contrasts that with an infant. In verse 14, just as a small ship on a sea with big waves and winds is vulnerable to the elements, so too are we susceptible to people who would seek to lead us astray if we aren't intentional about growing up. Just as the goal of babies is to grow into toddlers and children and teenagers and adults, so too are we to grow up in Christ. And this growth is defined, measured, very specifically. Verse 13, the whole measure of what? The fullness of Christ. Look at verse 15. We will grow to become, in every respect, the mature body of Him. Growth or maturity is defined by having the character of Jesus. And He's talking here about corporate Christ likeness, which depends on the maturing of individuals, but frankly, is so much more. God's goal for every church. God's goal for this church is that we together become a visible representation of Christ's body in this particular location at this particular time. God's goal is that we together as one body of Christ come to reflect in increasing measure Christ's character in the way we live, love, and serve in this community. So let's reflect for a moment on what Jesus' character was like. Just think of your summer, some of your favorite Jesus stories in the Bible. Here's just a few. Jesus welcomed the marginalized in society. He healed the sick. He offered hope to the brokenhearted, compassion for the hurting. He sought justice for the oppressed. He blessed children. He pushed back against hypocrisy of religious folk. He obeyed his father even in suffering. He extended forgiveness to those who mistreated him. Just as we measure growth and health in children by their height each year, so too are we to grow in increasing measure into the fullness of the character of Jesus. Our son, Ryan, just turned 18 years old and is headed off to college this fall. He's matured from the 33-week-year-old 33, 33 preemie he was when he entered the world. But no one would say he's done. He has so much more growth ahead of him in this next season of life. City Church is also 18 years old. And while we have a rich foundation to draw on, and we have witnessed a lot of incredible milestones, there is so much more growth possible. May we grow in grace as we grow in age. Ten years ago, when our family first moved to Minnesota, we joined a church not far from where we were living in Arden Hills at the time. Our kids, 8, 5, and 3 at the time, called it the Donut Church, for the donuts they got to enjoy Sunday morning after the worship service before the Sunday school hour. Providentially, that church was Calvary Church in Roseville, where our own Rich Schonert had been the senior pastor for 24 years. He was gone by that time, but that church was manna, provision for us when we were new in town until I got this job and we felt called to move into this neighborhood for relationship building. It's ironic because in this neighborhood, we're also known as the Donut Church, not because of our deep-fried pastries, but for the donuts made while driving on ice in our big parking lot in winter. (laughs) We're also known as a great place to practice parallel parking when you're doing your driver's ed. But what if in five years we were known as the place where you go when you need a fresh start or when addiction got the best of you and you hit rock bottom where those dealing with mental health challenges could find understanding hope and maybe even some healing what if we were known as the church where teenagers and children experienced such welcome and belonging, it defied our nation's trends on social-emotional health for that demographic. What if we, the people of City Church, were known by our neighbors, our coworkers, our extended family and friends as the real deal as far as Christians go? Where even if they didn't share some of our beliefs, they had to respect our integrity and love. Can you imagine what kind of impact that would have on this community? Well, that sounds inspiring, Amy, but is it possible? And here I can say confidently, yes, but not because of whoever is elected into the senior pastor position, though of course leadership matters. Rather, because of the third and final point Paul wants us to get Christ is the head of the body. And when I say head, I mean beginning middle and end beginning he's the source of these gifts remember he's the one who resources his church with them he's the risen exalted Christ who has ascended the throne conquered his enemies and has just given out gifts to people as the spoils and he's the goal the ultimate aim Our job is to conform to the person of Jesus as one body. And middle, he is the one sustaining and holding us all the various parts together even as we do our part in love. We cannot do this work without him. We dare not attempt to do this work without him. All that we do is for Christ. If we lose sight of that, we've lost everything. So let's be clear. Regardless of who steps into the position of senior pastor, it is never so-and-so's church. This is Christ's church. And as long as that remains our focus, we can be confident of City Church's future. Because we can date Jesus at his word when he promised those first disciples, and by extension us, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Church, yes, it's imperfect people assembling together in allegiance to Jesus. But by God's design, it's also the context into which we enter into faith and by which we live out our calling. The very word church, ecclesia in Greek, comes from the phrase called out ones. As Eugene Peterson, author of The Message, writes, we... Are the community of the called who now have a calling God's call and our call fuse into church our call as the body of Christ is to be the visible representation of Jesus here on earth now that he's ascended just like the early church our challenges are many but the mission is urgent it matters that we work together as one body with many diverse parts all seeking to grow in increasing measure into the character of jesus and it matters that we stand under and submit to our head the exalted lord jesus christ who is above all and in all and through all because people still want to know what god is like And Jesus' physical body is no longer here to show them. That's where we come in. Church, let's pray. Oh, our risen and exalted one, we marvel. Why would this be your plan? There is no way we can do this Uh, to the extent you did it. But you have given us the very spirit of yourself, your Holy Spirit. You have given and resourced your church globally with all that it needs to fulfill her mission. May it be so. May that be true of this church. Regardless of who is in any position of leadership. Lord, exalt your name By your Holy Spirit, help us to have a vision of what we can be and what our part is in it. We pray this in your name and for the greater fame of your name. Amen.